Hey folks, welcome back to This Is ADHD. As ever, I am your host, Chris Johnson. When I'm not wearing a fake mustache and pretending to be a podcaster, um, I work with people who are looking to make a change in their work, life and relationships for the better. Um, I am a combined type ADHD and I was diagnosed about five months before this episode was recorded. I started this podcast as when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it felt like no one else had this disorder and that overwhelming feeling of being alone just kind of left me reeling. Um, I just didn't know what to do after diagnosis. Um, in this podcast, I talk to people like you and me about what it means to be ADHD and how it shows up for them. I want to demystify and normalize ADHD um, and show that whilst ADHD profoundly affects people and our lives, that we really are all different and that one person's version of ADHD is just that one person. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode and it feels fitting that we started the podcast at the start of ADHD Awareness Month and we were talking about raising a neurodivergent family from the perspective of a parent. And now we're ending the month talking about the experience of being raised in a neurodivergent family. Today's guest is Jen Kerr. Um, we talk about understanding and adapting learning styles and how they can turn around an academic experience um, from something not great to something very, very positive. We also talk a lot about Jen's late adoptive parents, how they were, even before ADHD was diagnosable in women, um, they were able to recognize the signs and they were able to do their own research and they became the advocates that Jen needed in her life to get diagnosed and to get medicated early on. Uh, we talk about so much in this episode. It's all over the place. It's a real window into a life lived with ADHD. We talk about childhood, grief, employment, relationships, and so much more. Um, I really learned a lot just from having this conversation. I hope you do as well. And I think it's really interesting because Jen's journey is completely different to my own. And even with that, we still find that we have this overlap of experience. And we talk a lot about kind of this experience of a lifetime of the common events, but through that ADHD lens. And it's yeah, really interesting, really connecting. And so if you're a person with ADHD or you're here to kind of learn a bit more, um, Jen's story is really going to challenge your perceptions and kind of leave you with a greater appreciation for that experience that ADHD encompasses. Today I am joined by Jen Kerr from Ontario. She is a new friend of mine. Uh, she is a travel agent. Uh, she is 43 and we met on Fred's. Hi Jen, how are you doing? Hey Chris, I'm good. How about you? Hot, very hot, but also good. That's good. It's far too warm to be recording. Um, so Jen, thank <laughs> you for coming on first of all. Um, what do you call your ADHD? So I am technically the inattentive mm. type of attention deficit. I call my <laughs> form of ADD though a roller coaster. <laughs> um, I it's like so many highs, so many lows. It's super fast paced sometimes, and then other times you get stuck in a break run. Um, mm -hmm. Sudden twists and turns, sudden stops and starts. That's kind of 
my brand of ADHD for myself. Nice. It's, it's, it, I, I feel like my resonating there is like, yep, I've yet to describe my ADHD. <laughs> it feels like yours and mine is very similar. <laughs> <laughs> and Jen, I know we spoke about this when we kind of did a pre-call as well. Like, would you mind kind of talking about like your journey from pre-ADHD to ADHD? Sure, absolutely. So um, back in the 80s, when ADHD was kind of a new thing, Mm. um, in a sense that boys were getting diagnosed with it all the time because they couldn't sit still in class or were running around and all that stuff, um, my brother was diagnosed in grade one. And my mom started reading a bunch of attention deficit books like Driven to Distraction and um, you know, the standards back then. Mm. And she started cluing in, um, that, you know, maybe I had something kind of like my brother, but in a different form. Mm -hmm. Um, what really triggered it for her was my, my inability in class to comprehend certain things. So, or Mm. to be able to get my homework done and focus long enough to get work done. So, I had a difficult year. My brother was in grade one. I was in grade four. I had a teacher who was dealing with a husband who had cancer at the time. And so she was still teaching because she needed to have funds coming into the family, clearly. And Mm -hmm. um, But she was also dealing with this stress at home. And so we thought it was just her. We thought it was a personality thing at this point just because Mm -hmm. she was dealing with a lot. And I was very out there. Um, Uh but it was really the idea that they tested me because my homework wasn't getting done. I wasn't grasping fractions and, you know, those kind of concepts in math and they tested me and I tested at a genius level. So they're like, yeah, no brain's not a problem. You, you get this. (laughs) Like there's no reason (laughs) for you not to be doing the work and not to understand this stuff. Um, And so it was basically my principal that said to my parents, like, I'm sorry, but your kid's a spoiled, rotten, lazy brat. Like, there's no reason for her not to do her work. And I, you know, that was back Mm. in 1990. I still remember it to this day. Like, Mm. that's one of those things that resonates with me and actually will feed into my psyche every once in a while when I'm frustrated with something. It's like... No, you're just a spoiled, rotten, lazy brat. Um, but it was, mom started, once she, at that point she was reading more and more and dealing with my brother who was on a Ritalin. And so she decided, let's go to the pediatrician and let's, let's see, because she had read something about the inattentive type of ADHD at that point, which was called hypoactive back in those days. It wasn't called the hyperactive. Um, and so we went to the pediatrician and they put me on Ritalin and it things started to improve. Not a lot, mm. but things started to improve in the sense that I could focus a little bit more. And it wasn't until like, so grade five, we moved to a new school. We got out of that school. Can't imagine why. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so we got out of that school, moved to the new school. And I was on Ritalin twice a day at that point. And that's how we started really figuring out things for me um, Mm. and realizing that Ritalin was actually working. Um, Rewind back to grade two and three, just because Mm. this never comes up in the journey, but it's technically part of it. I had a teacher who um, invested in a bunch of the electoral boxes that you use at schools when people are going to vote. And she got a bunch of them for her classroom and she started putting one of those around me um, during tests and everything, because otherwise I was looking around and daydreaming, which is classic inattentive ADHD. (laughs) So she put me in this box. There's there's accommodations, isn't there? And then there's, that's like the opposite of accommodations, isn't it? It's like punishments. It is. It is. And. Again, this was the 80s, so Mm. inattentive ADHD in girls, not something you ever saw or talked about because girls didn't have attention deficit. It was a boy's disease. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think there's people who still think that to this day. Oh, God, yeah. All the time. I'm yeah. sure of it. Yeah, and so you were changing schools. You're on Ritalin twice a day, and then everything fine, hunky-dory, lived a great life, right? So after, kind of, kind yeah, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I am one of those people that chronically suffered from foot and mouth disease in the sense that <laughs> I I blurt out stuff randomly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So. There would be stuff that would be said in class and people would look at me and go, what planet are you from? <laughs> <laughs> um, around this time, I had discovered, like, I was already aware that I was adopted from a young age uh, as mm -hmm. a baby. But around this time, I had somehow found my birth do my documents for my, my adoption. So I found my actual birth name and... It, it it was Olivia, and uh, for some mm. reason, don't ask me why, I decided to tell my friends, oh, my name was Olivia Newton-John. Don't know why. <laughs> but... The choices we make. <laughs> I know. That was my birth name. Oh, I was Olivia Newton-John at birth. Wow. Yeah, I was so proud of that moment. Yeah. I, I, I can feel the emotions. They're still, they're still with you. That's, that's a choice that you're not going to be oh, yeah. able to take back in. <laughs> yep. Yep. So um, a lot of, for me, my journey then began, mm. like, my grade school here in Canada, um, most, most grade schools don't start you learning about exams. You don't deal with mm. that until you get to high school. Um, mm -hmm. Our grade school took a different approach. They decided that they felt it fair that grade seven and eights kind of learned what an exam cycle is going to be like in high school so we could prepare for it. Um, and that's when we really discovered that testing was not my thing. Um, mm. I, I, I couldn't write essay questions for the life of me. So we started, you know, trying to figure out how to piece together those things and it, it still was tricky but it worked in a sense but it wasn't mm -hmm. until grade 10 that we really discovered my learning habits um it was grade oh. 10 history to be exact and my dad who is quite a brilliant metallurgical engineer here in ontario um mm -hmm. he has done presentations all over the world um, he has, he has a patent in the U S I actually have it at my house, um, because he invented certain role technology for steel making. Um, he started thinking maybe that I was a visual learner instead of an actual write it down and that. So oh, okay. he started drawing diagrams for history classes. Um, so the whole cold war, the idea that the planes might fly over the Arctic circle and come yep. into the U S and fly over Canada and, and. To this day, I still picture those pictures when I'm thinking about the Cold War and everything, because that's what stuck with me. Um, yeah, it, it's but around that kind of like ground up. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's almost like ground up in the sense that we were learning about visual learning in a sense mm. and uh, figuring out what worked for me. Um, they also started putting me in separate offices during exam time. So, I mean, it wasn't horrible and I got my exam done. Usually, I don't know about you, but I was a person mm -hmm. that could write my exams in about 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my exam was done in 30 minutes. Like, as soon as that 30 minute bell was done, I was gone. <laughs> like, so <yeah. laughs> I, 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 yeah, <laughs> let's go get me out yeah. of here. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the same way. Like everyone else in my class, mm. we had like two, two and a half hours to write our exam. Mm. Everyone else in our class was there for an hour, hour and a half. I was mm. sitting in the lobby at a half hour. Like, okay, can I go home now? <laughs> like, let me leave. <laughs> Yeah. So in about when I was about 16, we started working on the thought that I needed a mood disorder, or like I needed a specialist. 
Mm-hmm. And my parents took me to a mood disorder specialist who was well known within our church community at the time. And that's great. You know, he was a fantastic mm. guy. I, I liked working with him and he understood the goal was to get me to a, a university mm-hmm. and and so I could pursue certain things like music education. And I mean, we eventually got there, but part of the problem with him was he was more of a mood disorder specialist than an ADHD specialist. So his Mm. first initial thing was, we're going to take you off of Ritalin and we're going to try this antidepressant bipolar drug. Well, first of all, which 16 year old is not hormonal and crazy? Um, Explain that one to me. Um, we all deserve to be on drugs in our teenage years as women and, you know, with our hormones, we're, we're a little crazy. Um, a little, but I was, he didn't, he didn't figure out as I was going through med after med after med that it wasn't working for me. I would be on a med and be adjusting doses, dosages for about, Mm six months to about a year per med kind of thing. And then we'd have to switch because it stopped being effective and working for me. So was it that you were on effective medication for ADHD, got taken off it and tried a whole different series of things and none of them Mm -hmm. were working and the doctor didn't go, well, let's go back to what was working previously. Exactly. Yeah, no, he never went back to the Ritalin because back then, again, this is mm. the 90s, right? So mm. we outgrow we outgrow attention deficit. We outgrow Ritalin at that point, right? Um, there was no Concerta at that point. There was no Adderall. Mm. There mm. was no other adult-friendly um, ADHD meds like there is on the market today because being an adult and having, or even an, a late teen and having ADHD was unheard of at that point. Um, they were still trying to figure out how it worked with kids and teens. So, um, yeah, yeah, my med journey stopped when I was 18. <laughs> it's, it's that thing of like, you can, there's a few approaches to ADHD. One of them is like, ADHD coaching of going like, here's some specific things that help you get through your day. Here's things about your neurology and here are the things that you're going to struggle with and let's understand it and work through them. And here's medication that also helps with that. And they work great in combination. And it's always that thing of like, you had the medication, they took that away from you, but you had nothing to back, not coaching, not like the understanding and again, not further medication. And and bless my mom's heart. Like she was, she was fantastic. She was an advocate for me where no one else was, Um, you know, and she tried her darndest to get us the help that we needed. Um, But the, the therapists that she sent us to weren't versed in ADHD either. So their take on it was that there's, you know, behavioral issues or trauma past, or, you know, you're just being a teenager who's being a pain in the butt, Mm. um, you know, and whining about stuff. So that never helped really either. Um, and you know, at this time I'm very active in my youth group and I'm very Mm. active in our youth music team at church. And at this point I'm starting to, because I wasn't medicated, you you find out you see a, a different side of me in the sense that I wasn't the one that people wanted to be around because I was mm. obnoxious. I was blurting stuff out. I was saying things that made sense in my brain but didn't make sense mm. in anybody else's brain. Um, you know, I was highly emotional, um, and being on antidepressants didn't help that. I was oversensitive, always have been. I mean, I was bullied from the time I was 10 years old by one particular student until the end of grade 12 when we finally got out of class together. Um, And my parents were effectively in grade 11, finally sent a cease and desist letter Mm. to this kid 
to say, if you do not stop bullying our daughter, you will be getting a call from the police. And I mean, really looking back now, you look at it as like, yeah, he was making fun of me, but it wasn't to the extent that some bullying goes. It was more of, I was just an, at that point, an oversensitive kid. But now looking back, it's like, "Uh no, this is maybe RSD instead, like rejection sensitivity, Mm. whatever it is. Um, You know, that, that, now looking with all the knowledge that we have, it's like, maybe I did suffer from that back then. Um, yeah. But we figure, I figured out quickly, if I had the right teacher, I did well. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have the right teacher, I didn't even want to put the effort in because I knew it was going to be a waste of my time um, yeah. because they weren't going to help me. Uh, so mm-hmm. the teachers that, I did really well with, I got clingy with the Mm. teachers that I didn't do well with. I wanted nothing to do with and would like stay far away from them in the high, in the school halls. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was kind of thing. Yeah. There's something about bullying and I've got a bit of a question here. And like fair cop as well. I was bullied at school as well. And I'm wondering, hearing your kind of callbacks, your memories, um, is there something in that heightened response that we as ADHDers have that makes us pleasant to bully or something like that? Of like, you can just give us a little nudge. You can give us a little poke and most people just brush it off, but we give a elevated response to that which makes us more prone to victimhood that emotional dysregulation that we all all if not majority of us have Mm. um seems to get triggered really really easily um Mm. i mean this kid started out just by calling me by my last name that's all it was he he would just say Mm. hey kerr how are you hey kerr how are you and you know that bothered me that really bothered i don't know why because it's my last name it's like Mm. it's not the biggest deal but it bothered me and it got so bad to the point that i had teachers sending me away for fake errands so they could talk to the class and tell them to knock it off Mm. the other problem was in the in this particular instance is this kid was the principal's son. So no one dealt with him mm. ever because he was related mm. to the principal. Um, we were all happy at the end of grade eight. We're like, oh, good. He's going to Smithville. I don't have to deal with him. Like, there's two mm. high schools that we could have gone to from this school. And it's like, oh, he's going to the other one. Thank God I'm done. I'm free. Like, and yeah. then, yeah, no, midsummer, they decided he's going to the same high school and we're going to carpool oh. together. Oh. <laughs> Like, oh my god. <laughs> what did you learn and what would you change? <laughs> I feel like there's a very definite answer there. But what else would you change? Honestly, I don't know. I, I would if I had a chance, I would change how I come across to people. Mm. But to this day I still don't know how to change that. It takes a lot of thinking for me to mm. kind of word answers properly or make sure that I'm not saying things that are like out in left field um mm-hmm. i mean i still have i have lost i i don't know about you but i've lost a lot of friends over the years because mm. i'm just I'm not neurotypical i'm not your usual person no. so for me to drone on and on and on about a subject past the time that something's happened is a common occurrence whereas for them yeah. it's a one and done thing and they don't harbor over it yeah. Like, so yeah. the other thing, if I had learned, if I've learned anything, it's kind of the idea that I wish that we had stayed the course with meds. Mm. But knowing what I know now, I know that's not a possibility because the world was not evolved enough in the mm. study of ADHD. You know, if I was doing it all over yeah. it again today, like if I was a teenager now, I'd be fine. 
Yeah. I'd have a world at my disposal. I was a trailblazer in a sense in the ADHD <laughs> world. Yeah, you were having ADHD before it was even available in women. One other thing I also learned, just going mm. back to that whole question, because, you know, ADHD mm. boomerang. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, is that coffee is my medication of choice. If I don't have tea, if I don't mm. have caffeine, if I don't have coffee, I don't function. And it still is my medication of choice to this day because getting evaluated here, getting a specialist here, getting a family mm. doctor here is almost mm. next to impossible. So it's like, forget it. I don't have time. Yeah. I'm just going to do what's always worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee is, yeah, I'm literally drinking my coffee right now as we're talking. <laughs> love coffee love coffee uh, it's that thing of like I, I i did not like the taste when i first started but it, mm -hmm. those neurotransmitters that it gives you it was that thing of it was very quickly after i got over that taste of like i need this to function yeah i'm thinking we've there's quite a few parents of adhders who listen to the podcast now as well like people looking for kind of answers like is there anything that was helpful for you as a kid growing up yeah so Figuring out that I was a visual learner was huge. Um, mm. And so for me to kind of clue into the idea that if I draw it out or eventually in college, if I wrote out the notes, um, mm. you know, that I was taking instead of just audio, like typing them out or anything. But if I wrote the little side comments that my professor would say, that no one else thought had anything to do with the tests or the exams or whatever, then, then <laughs> suddenly they would show up on the exams. Um, mm. You know, if I wrote those down, I actually remembered them. If I wrote out my study notes, I yeah. remembered them. If I drew out diagrams, I remembered it. If I just sat and read my notes and my stuff for school, it went mm. out the window. Now, that being said, if I sit and read a book... I can, because I'm drawing it in my mind, mm. it's a different story because yeah. it's fiction. I'm creating the world around me. It's not there in a picture book for me to, mm. to figure out what they're telling me. Yeah. Um, and to, I'm one of those people that will look at a movie based on a book and will say, mm. yeah, no, that's no, <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> that's not the world that I created. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're not allowed to say that. I, I, I found that out as well. Like I know, like, those, <laughs> like all, all in, like yeah. Once I went to university and started sharing my thoughts, I'm going, "Well, this is a bad. This is bad. This doesn't match." And like in your twenties, people go, no, "No, it's like, oh, other people are allowed different interpretations of the things I love." Like I suppose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, growing up music and sports were my getaway mm. they were what grounded me in a sense they were my escape and mm. i became it like i learned how to play the flute in high school yeah. and so for me to be able to play i was constantly in the band room and wanting to learn harder pieces and new pieces mm. um and then i was a figure skater growing up for 21 years so to take that love of music and put it onto the ice was another way of being able to just escape reality. Mm. Um, but of course my obsession with those two things were a pain were a pain for everybody else to listen to all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think yeah. there's that thing of like, I recently learned the term hyperlexia which is about consuming books. You just read and read and read and read. And I, oh, I recognize that. Um, mm. But I think there's there's something about, I'm thinking for parents of ADHDers, of saying like, these help us regulate our emotions, but sometimes they are potentially yeah. taken too far as well. <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's a, that fine line of saying. Absol like, I'm a Disney nerd, huge mm. Disney nerd. And that passion started when my parents took me to Disney when I was like six years old mm. and I still go to, I'm, I'm 43. I still, I just went to Disney last year. Like 
And I don't apologize for my love of Disney. Yeah. If, <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. like it, just walk away. Just go because yeah. I'll start and yeah. I don't stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've yeah, I've got book series and I've got yeah TV shows that I go back to year after year. I'm going like this is this is the thing. So like Farscape, which is a random Jim yeah. Henson sci-fi series, which no one watches, but that's just wait, Jim good. Henson did that? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's it like the Muppets guy, Jim Henson. Yeah, I didn't know that. Now I'm going to have to watch that because I love the Muppets. He did all the It it holds up so well because it's all animatronics, very little CGI. Okay. Yeah. I'll just check that out. (laughs) Yeah, but it is a hyper focus, so take it with a pinch of salt, my opinion. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, But also, like, yeah, like things like John Scalzi's space operas and things like that, like, very much go back at them over and over again because they're helpful. They're regulating their calming as well when things are stressful. Yeah. Mm. I think for parents to understand their kids, I mm. think I think my mom did it well in the sense mm. that she was an advocate for us. Mm. Um, in this day and age, you know, people are either on the, you know, we can't vaccinate our kids. It's going to brainwash mm. them or do whatever. We go from that to there's the other side of my kid is getting every vaccine and, you know, mm. whatever else to the I, and I to the parents who are worried about every little thing of their kids. And I, mm. I, I pose no offense to any parent out there. You do parenting your style. That's you. Mm. Um, I you know, we all parent differently. We were all parented differently growing up. And you it, it's one of those things of it's nature versus nurture. We we learn parenting skills from our parents um, and we learn it from observing others, but you need to be an advocate for your kids because if my mom didn't stand step up for me, if my mom didn't fight for me, I would still be in the dark about my ADHD. Um, I don't think I would have come across it independently in college Mm. until later on, maybe. Um, And even now as I, sit and watch TikToks and social media, mm. I might be cluing into, yeah, this is, this is something that might be affected me instead of, yeah, that's totally me. I, I already know that, you know, you're not telling me anything new. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, think advocacy is huge. That's exactly the word I was thinking of as well. Like advocacy as a parent for mm-hmm. your divergent kids, because you, it is difficult. It is one of my favorite words, ineffable. It's very hard to measure, but like neuro uh, neuro differences of saying like, are they exhibiting behaviors because of a neurological difference? Are they doing something different? Is there something else? And it's, it's hard because people don't understand. It's hard because people don't make judgment calls based on the behaviors they are, they see as Mm -hmm. opposed to asking the questions about why the behaviors exist. It's why some of these people that say, oh, everyone's a little ADHD, drive me batty. No, mm. no, no. Yeah, sure. Everybody <laughs> can have some hyper hyperactive moments mm. where they're bouncing off the walls or uh-huh. they just blurt something out. But you step a day in my mm. shoes and you realize how many times I interrupt a boss in the middle of a conversation Mm. because I already know where she's going so I just blurt out the remainder of the conversation or the answer Mm. yeah like no that's not that's not normal that's not a little bit of ADHD Mm. that's that's a whole lot of ADHD (laughs) I think I I posted on threads yesterday sorry Mm. here we go we're interrupting I think I posted on threads yesterday mm. that I, I did some math last yesterday of mm. the fact that in the last 20 years of me working, mm-hmm. uh, cause I didn't start till I was 23 cause I wanted to get through school first. I think I've had 16 jobs in 20 years. Now, some of them were seasonal. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, short term doesn't matter. So that was, to be expected that they would end. Mm-hmm. 
But others I've either lost or left because either A, I didn't like the job anymore. I didn't like the boss. Mm -hmm. It was too stressful. It was too much for me. Mm. Or B, it was I was fired because I don't play well with others. And that's like, that's a common thing with ADHDers. And if you as a parent are noticing that your kid is Mm. not playing well with others, it's time to... Stop blaming the other kid and maybe think, yeah. you know, maybe there's something that we need to look into. It's making me think of a fact. and I, I don't like this fact, but it's it's kind of coming up, which is mm-hmm. ADHD kids have a much higher percentage of one-way friendships than neurotypical kids. So essentially they yeah. don't have the friendships that they give out returned back to them. And how on earth can you support that, which is just horrible. I don't like the fact either, but I've read that recently as well. And it Mm. resonates wholeheartedly Mm. with me because there's very few give and take relationships that I have. I'm Mm. single because I can't be bothered to have a give and take relationship with someone who's not willing to help me. Um, Mm. you know, I can't, I can't do a romantic relationship. It's not my thing. It's, it's too much and I get bored too easily. So Mm. I can't stay in one, but it's true. The one sided relationships where you are, I am constantly working on a relationship or trying to, how do I word it? Trying to make sure that I don't become irrelevant with the person. Mm. I think is the, probably the, not necessarily the right wording, but kind of yeah. how it feels where you're trying to make sure that they know you're still there, um, yes. that they don't forget about you. And it, it's interesting because I, I often say to myself, what's the point of having this friendship when I'm the only one mm. doing the work? Yeah, yeah. And it's true. There are people, yeah. like there are relationships that I have where, I'm the one texting all the time. I'm the one calling all the time. I'm the one, you know, doing all the work. And they're just like, cool, I'll call you when I want. And, you know, I don't understand that concept of not calling right away. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think there is is something, and I I don't know because I'm not neurotypical. I don't understand it. And I I know that with the majority of my friends, I text first. And I will follow up mm-hmm. and I will chase things up and I will be that thing of trying to add value. And I think there's there's almost that in in my head I get the value from the friendship itself of the connection that's formed. Mm-hmm. And then I try to do things for other people because I get all this value just from you being around and so yeah, I, I wonder if there's something in there to ask the neurotypicals. Maybe we'll do an episode in the future. And go, what do you mean by this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and you think about it like mm. my bullying experience, for example, and and mm. I'm sure it eventually will come out that most of ADHDers mm. were bullied as yeah. a child, and you know, um, mm. my my experience though, as I look at it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it I I couldn't maintain any relationships because of things I said. Yeah, I know I was mm. bullied because of something that that foot and mouth disease thing again. It just mm. came out, and you can't take it back. There's yeah. I I worked in the camp world for ten years, so I was a camp director for over ten years, um, which is actually a great place for neurodivergence to work because. <laughs> It's always exciting. You're being creative all the time. And if you look in the camp world, you'll probably find that eight or nine out of 10 of us have some sort of neurodivergence, Um, whether it be autism or ADHD, we all have it. Um, But I look at that and I think about, you know, in the camp world, it's, it's constantly one of those things where you think about, uh, there's a metaphor that we use and teach our training, our staff. It's like, there's a toothpaste. You have a tube of toothpaste. 
Mm-hmm. And you get your staff to squeeze everything out of that toothpaste, or it could be a tube of paint or whatever. And then you ask your staff to try to put it back in. Mm-hmm. And we use this analogy and we say, this is how words hurt. We take yeah. words come out of our mouth. We can say whatever we darn well want, but we can't take it back. Mm. And we can't put it back in the tube neatly the way it was. So there's always yeah. some sort of mess leave behind. And you don't necessarily see the mess because we clean mm. up the mess. But you don't realize that there's still that sticky layer of toothpaste underneath the cleaning solution. Or, yeah. you know, there's a little glob still left on your toothbrush. Um, so we as neurotypicals don't necessarily have control over what we say or how we say it mm. or what we do or what we think. And, but we also don't understand or comprehend the mess that we've left behind because mm. our brain doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from when it does as well. That thing of, I can, I can obsess over a comment, a passing comment that no one meant anything by. I'm going, oh no. They've ne- mm-hmm. And that's where the RSD comes in. I'm ruminate on it sometimes. But mm-hmm. also like, sometimes like someone go, they were really mean to you. Like, well, I've completely forgotten that conversation already. <laughs> I had someone reach out to me from my grade school years um, mm. because I had COVID, the whole COVID lockdowns here and everything, mm. that isolation made everybody think about caring, right? And, you know, made everybody mm. think about, oh, you know, we don't see anybody anymore, so we need to take care of ourselves. And I'm one, a huge advocate for self-care and doing stuff for self-care because that's the only way I can get through life if I'm Mm -hmm. frustrated or upset or something. And I had someone reach out to me during that time because I had posted something about my struggles over the years and, Mm. and that on Facebook. And she's like, I was really nasty to you and I'm really sorry. And it's like, okay, I don't remember Mm. any of that, but sure. (laughs) Mm. I accept your apology. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of like, we remember the bad times, but also we sometimes don't as well. I think of like, it's, I don't know how the, the memories work and how you can choose to remember I think the good things as well. I think there's that thing of we forget so much of the good as well. Yeah. Uh, I str- yeah. I I'm going to issue that. a trigger warning here. There's mm. a bit of a trigger warning here to do with uh, loss and death. Um, mm. So it could trigger anybody that listens. But mm. I was told my mom died suddenly when I was 29, 28. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in school getting ready for second semester. My mom passed away right away. Uh, two days before semester start started. And I had a rough semester. Still don't know how I passed with a 3.5 GPA. Haven't figured that one out. And how I almost became valedictorian. Still haven't figured that one out. But that's okay. I got through it. Um, um, but someone mentioned to me, a, like, about a year after. Because, mm. you know, with a sudden loss like that, you don't get a chance to really process it. Um, yeah. As someone who's potentially ill and taking a long, um, like, a long illness and slowly going downhill. Um, you get to kind of look at it like okay you know what i need to prepare myself they're not going to be here much longer um and someone said it to me they're like do you want to be known as jen who you know has survived the loss of a mother and you know has moved on in life and doing well or do you want to be known as jen my mother died and it's like I never thought of it that way. It's hard mm. for me to move past that grief as yeah. someone who doesn't process feelings and emotions properly. Mm. But, you know, we, we talk about how we hold on to those feelings and, you know, we remember and ruminate over those things that were said mm. to us as a kid like that. Hence why that bullying is still fresh in my yeah. head. Um, But in this case, like grief, is one of the hardest things for an ADHD or to get over. Mm. Yeah. Uh, at yeah. least in my journey, I find that I look back at it every day and I look at all the memories that I could, that my friends are having with their parents. And mm. it's like, boom, instant trigger. 
And it's like, yeah. I can't get over this because I can't be doing that with my mom or I can't be mm. doing this with my dad. And it's like, oh, get over yourself. It's been 10 years already. Like, but, but it hasn't. It, is- it hasn't. I think it's that thing of saying like, when like, out of sight, out of mind thing, we struggle. It's that thing of like, you're mm. not you're not processing all the time. Like it's that thing of like your parents could still be there in the back of your head yeah. just because you haven't seen them. And then that reminder comes in or something happens. You go, I'm straight back to 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And again, going back to that epic, that parent link that we've been talking about mm-hmm. on and off throughout this episode or interview is like, this is where if something's bothering your kids, like mm. you're going to know, first of all, you're going to f- trigger into the little warning signs that you're seeing, but help your kids to process. Don't try to get yeah. them to get over it. Like they did you wrong. You know what? Whatever. Um, it's no big deal. They said that you were silly or that your feet stank or what? like little mm. things like that stick with us for life. Like parents need to yeah. help their kids talk about it and process it. If they can't, then they need Mm. to get someone that does because there's too many kids that are neurodivergent and, and not able to process properly Mm. that are being forgotten about. And then eventually they, they take a very dark path and Mm. that's not the right thing for those kids either. Right. Like, so parents need, not only do parents need to advocate for their kids, but they also need to help their kids process things because yeah. we can't do it normally we don't have that ability yeah and i think there's something about saying as well if you have neurodivergent kids there is a high likelihood that you're also neurodivergent and you also might be lacking in some of these skills as well and also even if you're neurotypical you might be lacking some of these skills as well because neurodivergent support is difficult and asking for help and ask going outside of yourself of saying actually i can't do this as a parent i need to help i i think there's, there's something for parents of neurodivergence listening of saying there is shame in that there shouldn't be shame in that and no it would be a much better world for your kids growing up to have that regardless of where it comes from as well. Yeah, absolutely. If I, if my mom wasn't the person that she was, who Mm. had a light bulb moment to say, I think there's a problem here. Um, Mm. We need to figure this out. I probably wouldn't have graduated high school without, you know, my father literally dragging me into it every day. Mm. But, you know, like, I wouldn't be where I am today because I figured out how I started figuring out slowly how my brain works and how my brain ticks mm. because he gave me the tools through the books that she read. I also mm. then read the books when I got older to kind of figure stuff out. And, you know, she encouraged me to do my thing, um, mm. you know, and to be who I was. But she also taught me along the way, hey, you can't, you can't say stuff like that. You need to really think mm. about what you say before you speak um, yeah. because you just blurt stuff out. Um, and I mean, I was a frustrating child. I was a frustrating teen. I, don't get me mm. wrong. I, I know that for a fact. Mm. But my parents, my parents were the kind of people that, kind of looked outside the the regular normal hormonal imbalance mm. of a teenager and thought no there's there's something else here you know and my dad and I didn't once my mom passed my dad and I just didn't get along because again we're like oil and water mm-hmm. the exact same people um yeah. we're carbon copies so we both all the way growing up we were very very much at people's each other's throats like homework Mm -hmm. with him was impossible for me Um, 
There's no way I was getting through science homework with my dad. The second I decided that after grade 10, I wasn't taking science anymore, his heart broke into a million pieces. Because, <laughs> you know, he's the engineer. <laughs> um, but we, my dad always said something that still sits with me today. And, it, mm. and it's, it wasn't the nicest thing in the world. And it's, but it's still something that makes me go back and think about what I, I say is like, well, you're just making stuff up now. And that's Ooh. a true thing of a lot of us get told mm. as ADHDers that we're making stuff yeah. up. But we're really not. You no. know, like, our reality may be a little different than everybody else's, but the stuff we say, because we're very much all about the the fairness and the the mm. rules and and all that stuff when we tell you that billy bob is actually telling these things to us yeah or saying stuff to us or not doing mm. their work we're not making that crap up mm. it's actually happening you're just not noticing you're ignoring it yeah um and so for us that that's like a dagger when you don't believe us and we look at it like, well, why would I say anything anymore? Cause it's not going to change. I might as well just keep my mouth oh, yeah. shut. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is, yeah. Reminiscent <laughs> of my childhood, reminiscent of my experience as well. It's absolutely that thing of that lack of belief of saying, well, you should just grin and bear it. You yeah. should, shouldn't be bothered by it. And you go, actually you can see your child is bothered by that. You can see your partner is bothered by that. Why would you dismiss those feelings? Yeah. Why would you say, Oh, you're struggling with this. I'm going to make it turn it back into your problem. Oof. Like I said, ADHD is a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. What joy has ADHD brought to you? My creative mind. Um, mm. I'm able to think outside the box. I'm able to put together things that most people wouldn't be able to comprehend right away. Um, so in the camp world, for example, the ideas that came across for our, our all group activities kind of thing, um, for me, yeah, I would borrow some from fellow camp directors because why mm -hmm. reinvent the wheel if it's already existing? Yeah. Um, I'm going to take the easy way out if I can sometimes, but like there's other times where I've come up with programming and events and it's like... It's all, yeah, there's some semblance of it, but it's taken a different twist because my brain can mm. see ahead three steps and see the twists that I can put in there. Um, I think the other thing that ADHD has done for me that I probably wouldn't have thought about or most people don't think about mm. with um, in regards to ADHD because they see the inattentive and the hyperactivity and, <laughs> you know, they don't see certain nuances but i am one of those people that can plan your trip for you like mm. no tomorrow i can tell you <laughs> step by step okay you're gonna get off the plane in vancouver you're gonna go down to the lower floor and get your um luggage at the luggage bay then you're gonna go up to level two and catch the sky train and take the sky train to down to your hotel down like i can plan it for you and give you a written outline of exactly how you're going to get places and my clients love it because I can give them details about certain trips like that a lot of people don't take the time to mm. do they're like here's your tickets here's your your hotel booking here's this now go figure it out on your own how you're going to get around they don't take that whereas if I know say you're going to Vancouver for example yeah. You don't have to rent a car at the airport if you don't want to. There's lots of public transportation, and it's very easy to get around. Let me show you. Or, hey, you're going to Disney. You're going to go do, um, you know, all these rides. Let me show you how to maximize your time in Disney so that mm. you are not spending four hours in a, in a lineup for one ride, mm. you know? So those kind of things, because I've been able to devour the knowledge base that's there and put my own experience in it and think outside the box, 
those are things that I'm very grateful for. The hyper-focus thing is fantastic some days. Not other <laughs> days, but most days, hyper-focus yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> you know, because we now have a knowledge base that most people don't have. Mm. Um, so, mm -hmm. if you think back to 16-year-old Jen, what advice would you give her? This is a moment. Mm. that doesn't last forever. Um, you know, take what you can absorb the knowledge and, and the information that you're getting C keep connected with the people that made you feel safe. Mm. Um, I mean, looking now there is still one teacher. There would probably be a couple more if I could actually, connect with them if they were on social media, but there's still one mm. teacher that I talk to on a regular basis. We are still good friends. And I graduated <laughs> high school 25 years ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are things that it's like, all right, you know, take advantage of the friendships that you have, mm. but make sure you you don't know what's going to happen in a decade or two. That's great. Really good. So Jen, now we're just going to take a moment. What have we learned today? I don't know if we've learned anything. I said that last time as well. <laughs> last time I asked this question. I think we have learned something though. Like mm. we've learned that no step, no no journey is similar. But at mm. the same time, we 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 all have dealt with similar type experiences. Mm. So. Many of us have probably dealt with doubt, a bubbling, uh, bubbling, bullying in our time, mm. but yeah. didn't really realize that why we experience bullying. Um, mm. Or many of us have experienced the nuances of trying to figure out how to learn this stuff. We've all had to figure out how to comprehend what we're learning in school mm. and what we're learning in the business world and what we're learning in the real world. So we've come up with these devices, mnemonics, whatever you want to call them mm. to, to learn. And we've all had to do that on our own in a sense, because no one think like we all may think similarly, but we don't actually learn the same way. Um, everybody learns differently. So, you know, each ADHD journey while mm. on the same similar path in the sense of we all have neurodivergence, we all have issues with emotional dysregulation or um, RSD, or maybe some of us are autistic. Like we all have different parts of the spectrum, but our journey is probably very more similar than we actually think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, as you were talking, it's that thing of we start this ADHD journey together before we're born and then life hits us mm -hmm. and we go along those same streets and it might be a street over from where my experience was but you're right there alongside me going i'm feeling the same things in a different situation and having the same experience and having to work it out for myself as well on those things yeah it's very much again trigger warning it's very much like a grief journey um oh yeah adhd uh, you know because everyone experiences grief at some point in their life, usually multiple mm. times. Um, I, I mean, I, I once said to a therapist, I've been to more funerals than I've been weddings in my life, which mm. is still true today. Been to more funerals than I've been to weddings. And I'm okay with that. Um, mm. Because my grief journey t took some sudden highs and lows. It's like a roller coaster again, high, low, mm. sudden stops, turns. Your grief journey might have been a little bit more easygoing. You know, mm. you haven't suffered those major losses yet. But eventually, we're go you're going to see what I've dealt with, yeah. but at a different time period in your life. Yeah. ADHD, we've all highs, lows, mediums. We might have really good parent parental advocates. You know, we might have people who are willing and, and able to bend over backwards to get us the help we have we need um you know maybe maybe you didn't but you then became your own advocate mm. you became a self-advocate yeah. for what you need and you know we all arrive at this 
same place together. It's just each of us take a different path to get there. Yeah. Sorry, I went deep there. <laughs> no. I, this, like, I, I, I'm, I'm sat here without the, and you can't see me with the camera and I'm just like sat there going, that hit, that hit hard. <laughs> That's going on the social media, Jen. That's going to go in the advert. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think there's there's something, and I don't know if it made it into one of the other episodes, but it's it's there's a few things, isn't there? But there's there's one that's jumping out to me, which is ADHD is saying sorry for who you are for the entirety of your life, mm-hmm. and about being too much for others, and have going why and then that grief that comes in and it's that grief that very mm-hmm. physical grief of people that you've lost and also that grief of what could have been as well it's it's not an easy road you mm. know everyone looks at it like oh you're just hyperactive or you can't have you know growing up you know oh I can't, you can't have brown pop you can't have caffeine you can't mm. have any of this stuff because it exasperates it the people who mm. tell me what i can and cannot have need to get the heck out of it because <laughs> only I can know what's going to work for my brain and my body. Yes. Um, you know, we, we see, uh, all of us see these posts on TikTok and social mm. media and Facebook and everything of, you know, manage your ADHD by being a little bit more productive by doing this. You need to take this step every day and this yeah. step every day. And it's like, do you have ADHD? Do mm. you actually live this life or are you pretending for the world yeah. to make a buck? Because yeah. if you have ADHD, then maybe you would realize that this only maybe works for you and not the entire commune of people who suffer from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, th- I, I think the, the false advertising out there about how everyone is the same with ADHD, it's like, no, 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 hmm. no. For me to keep my house yeah. clean, the doom piles have to be hidden somewhere. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, my memory's gone. <laughs> That's not too yeah. bad. After an hour, I finally had a disassociation. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what was I going to say? <laughs> it was related. It it was it was insightful. Insert the insightful thing here. <laughs> Oh, what was You'll it? remember two hours from now. Oh, yeah. I'll put it in post-edit. It'll be fine. <laughs> I think that, that was it. It was, it's, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was that point when I was like, oh, I need to mention that, but I didn't want to talk over you. Um, it's, yeah, the purpose of the um, podcast of calling it This Is ADHD is kind of a finger up to people who say this is ADHD because it's not one thing it is Mm -hmm. this collection of all these different things and it's only by talking to other people and seeing the overlaps and seeing the different experiences that you can really say this is adhd because my adhd is different to yours is different to uh, nicola's and different to chris's different to thomas's and yet they're the same and we are more similar to each other than we are different absolutely and you know the more i i hear people say to me you're just making it up you don't have adhd yeah you live a day in my brain (laughs) you try to figure out why the macarena is going on in the background while i have (laughs) fifteen thousand other tabs going at the same time like i can jump from subject to subject like that and but Mm. you know i don't have adhd okay And that is it for today's episode of This Is ADHD. I do really want to thank Jen for joining me today. Um, It's never a simple thing to kind of agree to talk in public. And some of the topics on this episode were really close to the bone, really personal, really deep. Um, So thank you, Jen. Really, yeah, could not do this without you. Um, Editing these episodes... For me, it's like listening to them all over again. It's like I'm not even in them in the recording. Thank you, working memory. (laughs) Um, I hope 
that you find Jen's story as interesting and as thought-provoking um, as I have. Their journey with ADHD has been filled with challenges and triumphs. It has worked because of constant adaptation, finding strategies that worked for her and having the courage to seek support when needed. It's all been about advocacy early in life and getting the support. It's about embracing your own unique perspective and advocating for understanding and empathy from others. If you want to reach out to Jen, as well, you can find them on social media. They're on Fred's. Their Fred's handle is jenker2280. Uh, be sure to give them a follow. They are always funny and interesting. Um, and that's where I met them. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, do please share this. This is going to be um, the last one for a couple of weeks at least. Um, if you have people that um, are going to be interested in ADHD, potentially have been recently diagnosed um, or have got family members or employees uh, with ADHD, it's meant for people like that, people like me, people like you, um, to just understand what we mean by ADHD. Um, you can also follow the podcast on Instagram and threads. Uh, if you search for the handle, this is ADHD podcast. Um, this is where you'll find updates, polls, and opportunities to engage with fellow listeners. Um, and if you want to talk to me personally, um, you can find me on Instagram and you can find me on threads and you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for The Coaching Blacksmith. That is uh, my change coaching business. Um, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or you know a guest, that just would be great. Um, do feel free to reach out. Um, when I hear feedback about this, it really does make it all worthwhile. Um, yeah, so please, yeah, get in touch. Um, at the time that I'm recording this outro, I don't quite know who's going to be on the next episode. I've got three or four people kind of in conversations and they're all interesting. And I'm really looking forward to um, starting those conversations. As ever, thank you for joining me on this episode of This Is ADHD. Until next time, remember, you got to fight for your right to ADHD. Thank you.